Welcome, friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you, coming to you from my basement out here in the Eastern Plains of Colorado. Steve Vaughn also with me on this edition. And we are going to deal with uh, the struggles, the angst of young people today on this program. We're talking about teenagers. And, uh, Steve, I know that you mentor, and I, I'm mentoring as well. I've got 12 to 14 young people that I'm mentoring. And te- technically, they're more like, you know, late teens, early 20s on into early 30s. So I try to keep that going. So weekly basis now, 12 to 14 young folks that I get together with on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday mornings, typically 6.15 a.m. or 7.15 a.m., depending on the group. Uh, so the mentorship, you know, takes place in the mornings for me. And I know you're doing the same thing, Steve. Yeah, I uh I coach speech and debate, but it goes way beyond that. Um I also have I have about 40 35 to 40 students that come to my house every week for anywhere from 3 to 6 hours. And then I also do some coaching online. I have somewhere around 20, not not every week. I've got about 8 to 10 every week that I see and then there's others that kind of pop in here and there. Um and and so I'm I'm teaching more than just you know, speaking and debating, I'm trying to insert uh, a very biblical perspective in all of that as well, because that's really what it's all about. Yeah, 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 exactly. And we need as much mentorship, as much discipleship as we possibly get these days. And and to me, it's it's the intensive nature is critical that we go deep, but we also are able to uh, do this over a period of time. Of course, that's what I believe is the most effective form of mentorship. If we can stick with it for more than a year, ideally two, three, four, five years, and that's when it's been most fruitful uh, in my ministry. But let's talk about what's going on, some of the angst that's uh, affecting high school kids today. Uh, this from World Magazine, actually just this morning, high school girls are reporting feelings of depression, thoughts of suicide, double the rate of high school boys. But here's the the thing that I think is most troubling is that it's it's on the increase. And we've talked about this, that we are seeing that this present hopeless uh, materialist zeitgeist is nothing but destructive for the minds of young people. Uh, nearly three in five teenage girls, 57% said they feel persistently sad or hopeless in 2021. It's, it's uh, almost two-thirds. 57% depressed, up from 36% in 2011. Among the boys, it's, uh, it's uh, now at, 30% up from 19%. So really a, a similar increase. I'm, I'm talking about a 40% increase in 10 years for young girls and young boys. I guess almost double for young girls, but for boys, maybe closer to a 75% increase since 2021. 69% of teens who did not identify as heterosexual reported persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness in 2021, while 45% considered suicide. So so it's much, much, much worse for the LGBT types who are being, you know, carefully mentored by the wrong worldview and uh and and brought into a position of confusion and of course uh sexual perversion as well. And and amongst those what 69%, so a, a huge majority. And after what like 15 20 years of encouragement by our media, uh, constant counseling by the entire educational infrastructure you know, still 69%. And, and you know, this entire campaign, it gets better that uh, 
has been foisted upon high school kids, specifically those that you know are being groomed for sexual perversion. Uh, wow, it gets better. You know that's the campaign that's uh, targeting the homosexual crowd within the high schools in America today. It's it gets better is is the big campaign but i'm i'm here to say it doesn't get better it gets a lot worse it's not getting <laughs> yeah. better i mean let's just admit it can't we get past the denial phase here in the counseling you know procedure we're not doing better this isn't better it doesn't get better in fact if there's no repentance they will perish i mean this it doesn't get better after you die it gets even worse so you know that's the message i think we need to be taking to these young folks we need to bring the gospel we need to tell them that it doesn't get better unless you repent and turn to Jesus Christ in, in faith. You know, it's, it's his Holy Spirit that comes in and actually does the cleansing and the counseling and, and to build you up and to let you know who you are in Christ. And, and that gives you the hope. It is the hope of his returning, the glorious return, where we will then go to, to be with him, where there are no more tears, no more dying, no more pain, no more death or sickness. And that hope that we have in the future gives us the power that we need to live today. Because today, for us who are Christians, this is the worst it'll ever be for us. But for those who are perishing, this is the best it will ever get. And, uh, you know, that, you know, you need to come to Christ. That is, that is the answer. Teenage angst has been around for 75 years. I'm sure it's been around to some extent or another since the uh, fall of man in the garden. But today, the angst is on steroids, my friends. 75% worse than it was 10 years ago. In other words, the entire society has turned suicidal. And really, the message that we need to take to this generation is repent or perish. And when I say repent, people say, well, what is, what, what is that? Is that to change behavior? No, fundamentally repent. Repent is to change a mind. Now, that will yield a change of behavior, but it's a change of mind that we need to call this generation to, a change of worldview. This is the age of, well, quiet desperation turning into the age of shouting desperation. I think you had something of the age of quiet desperation in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Now, it's the age of shouting, in-your-face desperation. And the teens are getting the message. The reason for this rise in depression and suicidal tendencies is, first, an identity problem. The message has come loud and clear to every teen in American public schools. You are cosmic dust. You are a product of chance. You have no purpose in life. There is no meaning in the universe. You hear me? No meaning in the universe. None. You are just evolved out of the cosmic slime and you're worthless. You're, you're, and, and you're defined your own identity because God does not have the right to give you any identity or worth. So you somehow got to carve your own identity, your own worth out of, well, nothingness. And you can't possibly give yourself an identity that would give you any real purpose or satisfaction in life. So there you go. That's your worldview. Okay, the teens are getting that message. And they're also getting the isolation message. You are alone, man. You are cut off from humanity. You're only an avatar wandering around in the electronic wasteland of the internet. Relationships are gone. And here's the deal. You got to live for self. It's all about self. You worship self. You, you, you engage nothing but self. It's all about self. It's all about your right to choose to abort your child and to do whatever you want in life. You live for self. And whatever you do, don't love anybody else. 
and all others are living for self too. So if you live for self and everybody else lives for self, that will be the most profoundly isolating experience for all of humanity. And one more thing, you're unloved. You are not loved. You're not loved by anybody. You're the product of a society that's killed 100 million babies in the last 50 years. It's a world where the love of many has grown so cold. So that message is coming loud and clear to this generation. And by the way, one more thing. There's no salvation, no hope. But here's the deal. Man cannot live without hope. But Americans have lost a sense of hope, a lost a sense of the resurrection. They don't live in the reality of resurrection anymore. They live in the reality of cremation. And we've talked about this over and over again. They don't live at the reality of resurrection. The rate of cremation has increased 20-fold since the 1950s. I mean, guys, I mean, we don't live in a sense, uh, an overwhelming sense of the reality of resurrection as a Christian population anymore. Oh, no, no. The gospel of resurrection is pretty much gone in the thinking of modern American Christians. It's a lost and lonely world without truth, without relationship, without hope in the world. And this can only be fixed by a covenantal God who writes down his truth and promises, signs it in his own blood, and forms relationship with us such that he will be our God and we will be his people. That's covenant. And, and he will be our father and we will be his adopted children. Friends, that's what this generation needs. A sense of absolute truth and relationship in a lost and lonely world. But here's the deal. They're going to have to repent or perish. They're going to have to have a renewal of mind concerning all of these fundamental issues of life. They've got to repent of bad thinking, bad messaging, bad worldviews about God, about self, about purpose, about sin, and about salvation. That's the message that Jesus came to bring. And that's why he said, hey, repent and believe the gospel. It's just that simple. And we're just reiterating it for this generation as well as for every generation again. On the Generations broadcast, we'll be back in just a moment. Here's one more takeaway from young teens or rather college students in America. That next on Generations. Stay with me. You know, busyness has a way of creeping into our lives. As dads, it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one time with our sons to simply talk. And those moments can be tough to come by. I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the Colorado mountains. To provide quality time for you to connect with your son, can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year and we're already filling up. Go to coloradofatherson.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to coloradofatherson.com and register today. And we're back on Generations. Kevin Swanson with you, Steve Vaughn as well. Here's one more interesting story from USA Today. I'm going to say about a week ago, I picked this off USA Today website. College students expect to make $103,880 on average after graduation. Okay. (laughs) So, Steve, that's where the story starts. The college students, they've surveyed. They found out that they're all expecting to make an average of $103,880. But 
Statistics show the average starting salary for college graduate is uh, fifty five thousand, about half of that. So, so <laughs> wow. Steve, what what does that tell you? Well, it's going to be a lot of disappointed kids after they get out of college because you know maybe I mean they might be worth fifty five thousand if they can get a job because I think you did a report on this a while back that the college graduates have some of the highest unemployment at this point as well and and so not only are they not worth a hundred and three thousand they're worth fifty five thousand if they can get a job and if they can find a job that actually will pay them that uh, I think there's going to be a lot of disappointment to add to their hopelessness that they got out of high school and if they can keep the job so you got to add that to the uh, matrix as well because you know it turns out the free market does a lot of sifting you know it's something about the free market uh, yeah. that humbles you and that forces you to face yourself and your economic worth in the society honestly and that's the sort of thing that's not happening here also i thought the college is doing as much as it used to there are a lot of guys who aren't going to college and they're making 60 70 80 grand within a couple of years so it's not as if yeah. college is the end-all and be-all anymore. I think people are realizing this increasingly. For one thing, we know that college attendance in America has dropped off by 3.5 to 4 million students in the last 10 years. What does that tell you? That's, that's like the folding up of two or 300 large state universities. You know, It's like four to five huge state universities closing doors. In, in every state in America in the last 10 years, that's, uh, that's just phenomenal. We're seeing, we're seeing the end of the college experience as we know it. And, of course, a lot of that, uh, what used to be brick and mortar, is going over into uh, the you know, computer-based approach. So college doesn't do as much as it used to, but here's the lesson that I think we need to pull from this. These folks, these college kids have a pretty high self-esteem. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the one thing they've gotten out of college. Man, you're worth $103,000. And it's interesting that on the one hand, they're told in the one class, you're not worth anything. You're just cosmic dust floating in the universe of your chance. They move on into the psychology classroom and they're told, you know, hey, you've got all kinds of self-worth. Just establish it for yourself. But it turns out, Wow. It's pretty hard to establish your own worth. Now, now let's just say this, that your economic worth is not going to be sufficient to establish your ultimate worth in, in, the, in the sight of God, who created you for a purpose, for an eternal purpose, and that is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But they, they, they've lost that purpose, and so they're trying to carve out some meaning by mere economic worth, and they're missing it on that account as well. Now, here's here's the question. It's interesting as we read in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we are not to conform to this world, but be renewed in our minds according to the will of God. So there's this transforming, this renewing of the mind that's essential. And one of the elements of the renewal of the mind shows up in verse 3 of Romans chapter 12, and that is this. Listen carefully. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. What does this mean? What this means is that we need to be sober. That is, we're not cosmic dust. 
Think of Psalm 8. You know, what is a man that you are mindful of him? Well, you've made him a little lower than the angel, but crowned him with glory and honor. In other words, God has established and imposed and, and, and formed an honor for each and every one of us. We have value because God, the creator, placed that value upon us, not because we put it upon ourselves. But here's the warning. Be careful. Don't think of yourself too highly. But as God has given you gifts, as God has given you faith, as God has given you some value and some honor, don't think of yourself as higher than the angels. Think of yourself as below the angels, but a little, you know, higher than uh, the creature world, you know, the, the animals, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, et cetera, et cetera, over which we have been given dominion. We, we, we have a place. God has established our place. God has established our, our honor and our value, but be careful. Here's the, here's the caution, Romans 12, 3. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly as God has given to each a measure of faith. That is, God has gifted us within the context of the church varying gifts, and certainly he has given each of us a measure of faith. But don't think of yourself as, you know, some amazing person over and above what God has already given to you. And, and remember that whatever gifts you have have simply been gifts that God has given to you already, so these are not, you know, things that you have uh, ginned up on your own. So, so all of that should, you know, put us in a position in which, you know, we don't walk around saying we're nothing but worms and we're worthless, but God has given us a value, and uh, that value does not come from ourselves. It comes from God. So our response is one of gratitude, not pride, humility, not arrogance. Do you see, you see the balance that Scripture gives us on this matter. And I think this is essential for every single young person who, who tends to, you know, err on one side or the other. On the one side, they don't think they're worth anything. On the other side, they think they're worth too much. Either way, we're trying to establish our own value on our own system of, of determination. But, uh, but rather, you know, either way, I think that's just pride operating. That's ourselves trying to be God, to establish our own value or to establish too high of a value for ourselves. And what we need to do is repent of that, receive the gifts that God has given us in gratitude, and not think too highly of ourselves. So I'm trying to pull all these principles together in order to establish one's identity and one's value in the sight of God. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's something that I also talk about with the students that I, that I mentor and that I help coach. I, I let, I say, look, in the free market, uh, something is worth what somebody else is willing to pay for it. And that's how they establish prices at, you know, the different big box stores and they check each other's prices and all of that. And I said, okay, so, um, everything is worth what somebody is willing to pay for it. What are you worth? And uh, you know, I take them to the verse, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And I said, what was that price? And they said, well, it's the blood of Jesus. And I said, well, what's that worth? And they said, well, it's, it's worth infinity. I said, right. So in the eyes of God, you are priceless if you are blood bought. But we also go back to the, you know, don't think too highly of yourselves. Think of others more. You know, so don't you, you don't necessarily need to think less of yourself. You don't put yourself down, but you build each other up. I said, if we keep building each other up and we focus on each other 
and what your brother or sister in Christ is worth that as well. Don't tear them down to make yourself look better. Build each other up because then once we do that, you know, how, you know, the, the sky's the limit. But if we tear each other down, we can only go down about six feet under after we're dead. And so don't tear each other down. Don't think too highly of yourself. Know what your worth is in the eyes of God build each other up, bear each other's burdens, love one another, all of the one another skills. That's how the body is supposed to work. And let me add one more thing before we're done on this segment of generations. When it comes to economics, again, the younger generation, the Gen Zers are expecting to earn twice as much as the market is willing to give to them. That That's the data from USA Today. Now, when it comes to economics, keep your expectations realistic. I, I think this generation needs to realize that the character of this generation is pretty much eroded, and we have run our great-grandkids into debt and consumed the character and capital of previous generations. So that's where we are today. Inflation has pretty much eaten up the value of our savings and is more and more consumed the value of our income sources. The average new car was priced $3,800 in 1975, and you could pay it off in four months based on a median income of $12,700. But in 2021, the average new car is now $41,000, take a 7.2 months to pay it off, meaning about 75% more time to pay off a new car today as it would have taken you in 1975. A four-year public college education was valued at $7,276 in 1975, would have required 57% of a median annual income to pay for that four-year public education. By 2021, the same four-year college education would require 112% of the current median annual income to pay it off. The other major expense today is medical care. Back in 1975, medical insurance health costs would have absorbed 4.7% of household income. 45 years later, medical insurance for a family of four consumes 20.4% of the household income. That's about four times what people would uh, have to pay back in 1975, all adjusted for inflation. Of course, workers in 2020 thought they were making much more money with a median household income of $67,500 compared to the median income of $12,700 in 1975, but inflation has fooled them. They thought their income was keeping up with their expenses. Actually, they were earning about half of what they were in 1975. You take into account these huge increases in household expenses brought on by inflation. So that as a segment I take from our book, How the World Runs and Your Part in It, a book I wrote for 14-year-olds to prepare them for the macroeconomy, to help them understand the macroeconomy and how to function in a microeconomy, including... A great deal on what scripture has to say about work, about diligence, about the character needed, the character called upon by God for every young person who's to get out there and get a job, how to be a good Joseph in the workplace, how to get your first job, how to get along with difficult people in the workplace, all of that in my book, How the World Runs and Your Part in It. Friends, what's your value? What is your worth? Shoot low first. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ gives us in Luke 14. Listen to this. This is great. This is what Jesus says. When you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, or if you're going to go out into the workplace to apply for a job, either way, when you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go sit down the lowest place. 
so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, hey, friend, come up higher, and then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the kind of principle that we need to teach our young people. That's the principle needed for every college student in America today. It's the teachings of Jesus. We try to summarize these teachings in the book, How the World Runs and Your Part in It, available at generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson and Steve Vaughn inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.